And I get a great privilege of introducing a dear friend. Uh, you all know Mike Carver, so uh, there's not much I can say that you don't already know. The fact that, uh, that Mike has been serving the Pleasant Hill Church of Christ for how many years now? Is it 15 or something like this? The first time he came out, just preached awesome. He came with such a blessing to my family and a blessing to so many of the other families uh, here in Pleasant Hill. I'm so deeply thankful for him. And so uh, please welcome him, Mike Harmer. Well, hello, Pleasant Hill. It is my privilege to be able to bring a lesson, to be asked to bring a lesson. Um, you know, I don't know how many years, we'll call it 15 and go from there, but I am so appreciative of Bill and his family, the hospitality that they have extended to me, I give him a hard time. Uh, and he gives it right back. <laughs> but, and all of you who have made me feel so, uh, so welcome, uh, I suppose you, you kind of got on board because um, you figured out I was going to come anyway. So, <laughs> you know, but I, I really do. I really want to thank everybody who has, uh, and, and I do feel, do feel a part. I, I really look forward to this. So I'm uh, really grateful and thankful uh, for the opportunity to be here. Um, thankful for the relationships that have developed uh, over the years. And, you know, that's, uh, that's really, uh, really precious to me. And I, I really want to thank all of you for having that opportunity. Satan wants us to stop praying. This topic, I couldn't believe my good fortune when Bill gave me this topic because I've been convicted for a time now about my own personal prayer life and trying to develop uh, a better um, prayer life, a more consistent prayer life. I, I've, I've traveled with, with uh, Bill. I've, I've uh, uh, traveled with Steve. And, and I appreciate these guys who can get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, spend time in the Word, and, and pray. And, and I've tried to do that. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of like a diet. I'll do it for about three months, and then something will happen, and I'll get out of the practice, and I won't do it. I'll be guilty, you know, and I'll, I'll start back up, and then, you know, so, so I look for ways to be more consistent in my prayer life. But Satan really wants to stop praying. He wants us to to. To not, to not be persevering in prayer. Prayer is an attitude of life 
and not a series of isolated acts. That's how the apostle, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can tell us to pray continually. It's an attitude of life, not a series of isolated acts. But don't get too happy. That doesn't let you off the hook. <laughs> that you don't spend particular time with God. But we need to develop this idea instead of a monologue that we have a dialogue with God. Be still and know that, that I am God. I'd like to ask uh, Dennis Nagy. Dennis serves with us at, at Wasion. I appreciate Dennis so much. Dennis, would you come and pray for this message, please? Dear Lord God, we, we do humble ourselves in your presence at this time. And Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that I have this opportunity to pray for my brother Mike. We've been through a lot of things together, but mostly it's all been joy. And God, I'm thankful that uh, he's been asked to come and deliver this message because I happen to know that when he delivers a message, it's from the heart, and that he's put a lot of time and effort into his message. And because of that, we will all gain from what he says. And I pray, Lord, that you would help Mike at this time to be able to recall the things that he has studied. I pray, Lord, that he can be that encouragement to all of us here today. And God, I always want to thank you also for all those other men that have come before him to make this here great uh, camp possible. I'm thankful, Lord, that I have this privilege of being able to lift Mike up at this time before you so that you might undergird him with your strength and might so that he can deliver this message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's been some years ago now that I brought a message here um, about Mike the Headless Chicken. And I have taken some flack about <laughs> Mike, the headless chicken. Now, uh, you can look this up on, uh, on Google. It's not something I made up. Mike, uh, the headless chicken, and he had his head cut off, but through some sort of, uh, um, through some sort of accident, I guess, he was able to survive for uh, 18 months. Now, you know, I've been kind of chided about, well, what's a headless chicken got to do with the gospel? <laughs> <laughs> the good thing about the good thing about my age is that if you wait long enough, it comes back around. <laughs> And what it has to do is with perseverance. If a headless chicken can live 18 months, and I looked at the figures here, a headless chicken lived 18 months and adjusted for inflation made 
$51,000 a month <laughs> touring for people who wanted to see a headless chicken. <laughs> now, if a headless chicken can make such a stir, and a headless chicken, I mean, that's perseverance. <laughs> I mean, you got to admit, a headless chicken has to have some perseverance. So, if a headless chicken can do that, my question is, what's wrong with us? I certainly were better than a headless chicken. <laughs> Most of us. <laughs> so finally the point comes around to if Mike can do it I can do it if a headless chicken can do it I can do it so Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 or beginning with verse 14 and I'm going to be reading from the um uh, uh, Modern literal uh, version, uh, it reads like this, Ephesians 6.14. Therefore, stand. Mike the Headless Chicken even walked around. <laughs> Already making a loud. Therefore, stand. Having girded your loins in truth and having clothed yourselves with the breastplate of righteousness and having tied the feet with the readiness of the good news of peace over all these things after you took up the shield of faith in which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one also be able to accept the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Through all prayer and supplication, praying in every season in the spirit and watching in this thing, in all perseverance and supplication concerning the holy ones. Who are we praying for? The holy ones. You know, that, that works right into the encouragement. And pray on my behalf in order that the word might be given to me in opening my mouth to make known the mystery of the good news and boldness on behalf of which I am an emissary in a chain in order that I should speak boldly in it as it is essential for me to speak. We have instant everything. Everything is high speed. 5G is going to make your connection 10 times faster. And when 2G gets out this far, you'll be able to get a phone signal. <laughs> But when it comes to prayer, speed is not relevant. 
persistence is. This lesson only has two points, which is two more than some of my lessons have. <laughs> number one is perseverance, and number two is war. Perseverance. And I've got two um, worksheets here to, to pass out. If I can get some, uh, some of you younger guys to help me pass these out, I appreciate it. Make sure everybody gets one of these. Oh, and uh, one of these. Oh, and one of these. Am I not supposed to be wearing this? No, that's right. You're fine. Just wear this one. Oh, you just wear this one? All right. We need to learn to wrestle, to fight in prayer. And we need to learn to fight over a long period of time. And that is to have uh, perseverance. To persevere in prayer. Many, uh, many times I suspect that our prayer life reflects the pace of our culture. Hectic. We get caught up in a pace that is very hectic. But prayer is the most serious work of our most serious years. Prayer is the most serious work of our most serious years. I'm too busy to pray is like a jet pilot saying I'm too busy to stop for fuel. That's not what you want to hear the pilot say. Oh, we're running late, so we're not going to get any fuel. Prayer is the shortest route to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a, it's a great idea for men of different congregations to share prayer requests because the serpent wants to disrupt our connection with God. The devil is real, he is personal, and he wants to thwart any attempt to glorify God. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill the church. He wants to stop the forward momentum. And he wants us to ignore the spiritual resources that we've been given. The devil trembles when he sees the weakest among the saints on his knees persevering with a purpose. Our adversary wants us to fight in the flesh and not use divine 
weaponry. There is no spiritual benefit in perseverance only. The benefit is in perseverance with a purpose. Beating your head up against the wall demonstrates perseverance. And Satan would like for people to believe that they're being perseverant in prayer while they're beating their head up against the wall. See, we have to pray for spiritual things. As was well brought out this morning, oftentimes the concern of our prayer focuses more on comfort than combat. And when the focus of our prayer is more on comfort than combat, we can spend a lot of time, see, praying for things that are really ordained by God to build our character. See, things that, that are there, that are, are given to us, you know, that are, uh, that, that are to produce godly character in us. I don't always know, see. And that's why, I think that's why we're told, you know, you don't know how to pray. My friend Rick, my friend Larry, my friend Terry, all died of COVID. I prayed that they would not die. They died. God answered that prayer. He did not let me down. And that, but that is a, is a thing that I was asking God uh, peripherally um, based on what my vision was to let him know how, how I was looking at the thing. But you know, we got to remember, it's not my will, but thine be done. Paul talks about, in Colossians chapter 4, Epaphroditus, uh, Colossians 4.12, a bondservant of Christ, Paul writes, the one from you, the one from Colossae, Epaphroditus, he greets you. He is always fighting on your behalf in his prayers in order that you might stand complete and having been fulfilled in all the will of God. I, I ask that you would pray for the church in Wasion that we would stand complete having been fulfilled in all the word of God. Persevere, fighting, wrestling. 
Marion Lloyd-Jones said, there is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do is easier than prayer. Everything we do is easier than prayer. And if your prayer life, see, seems easy to you, you ain't doing it right. Keep laboring. Keep wrestling. Keep fighting. Persevering in prayer. Don't give up. Seize up. Dry up. Let up. Stay up. Goof up or shut up. Kingdom-directed prayer. That is our tool, that is our weapon, is, is kingdom-directed prayer. And often it's directed at the wrong kingdom. We got to direct our prayers towards the kingdom of God, towards putting on the armor towards us marching forward and not be as concerned as sometimes we are about this kingdom on earth because it's all going to burn. It don't matter. If Western culture goes to hell in a handbasket, the kingdom of God will still prevail. It won't change a thing. Does that mean I don't care? No, I care. But this world is not my home. And I do not hold a dual citizenship. I will not hold a dual citizenship that the, that, that the prince and the power of the air is in charge of this kingdom and the son of God is in this kingdom. We have to make a choice. Who's the king? And then serve the king. You know, I've heard Jacob uses an example of wrestling and prayer. And the implication seems to be if we wrestle with God long enough, then he'll finally relent and give us what we want. <clears throat> God is not a reluctant giver of blessings. We don't need to pin God to the mat, make some deal, put him in some hammerlock to get him to submit. We don't have to wrestle an answer out of God. We don't need to twist his arm till he says uncle in order to get a blessing. Isn't that a funny picture? Mm -hmm. 
God's not reluctant to answer prayer, nor does he begrudgingly bless. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll be finding. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who is asking receives. And the one who is seeking finds. And to the one who is knocking, it will be open. What man is there out of you? Who if a son asks for a wolf, will give him a stone, will he? And ask for a fish, give him a serpent, will he? Therefore, if you being evil know how to give good presents to your children, how much more will your father the one in the heavens be giving good things to the ones asking him. Just remember, it was God who came to meet Jacob. Jacob had deceived his brothers. Jacob did not wait on God's timing. In that struggle, God was not changed by Jacob but Jacob was permanently changed by God. When you pray, you need to be willing to be permanently changed. Here I am, Lord, send me. Send me. I'm ready to go. Jacob left with a limp to remind him of that night of wrestling. He learned that God was in control. And he wanted a right relationship with his brother Esau. But first he had to learn that God is in control. So understand, and when I talk about fighting, when I talk about wrestling in prayer, when I talk about laboring in prayer, I'm not talking about struggling with God to get him to answer. That would be a losing proposition. But before God answers, we must speak. When the disciples seeing Jesus in prayer said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, try to talk your father into it, but he's kind of tough sometimes. <laughs> Ask him what you want, but man, you're going you're gonna to have to convince him. No. Luke 11, chapter 2, or Luke chapter 11 and verse 2. Jesus said, whenever you pray, say... Our Father, the one in the heavens, let your name be made holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will happen as in heaven, also upon the earth. Give to us our needful bread every day. 
forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is obligated to us and do not bring us into temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. Two-thirds of this prayer is adoration and praise. I can't think of anything to pray about. Are you kidding me? I mean... Well, God already knows what I'm going to ask for. The power of corporate prayer, of us praying for each other. Steve, uh, Dodi brought out the illustration, was it the uh, six to one in, in the infantry, six of our, our, our back uh you know, with the supplies and bread, bullets, and butter, and one on the one on the point of the spear. I want you to envision the heavenly realm, see, because there's a real war going on, there's a real battle going on. And what corporate prayer does is empower the myriads of angels to to push back the forces of darkness that are preventing God's will from being done. The angels are being equipped, not because we're praying to the angels, but they're being equipped by our corporate prayers in a way that, that the uh, uh, support team is equipping the infantry. Now, if we're going to starve the, the, the angelic realm, if we're going to starve the messengers, who are here on our behalf. See, who's going to be winning that battle? So we need to pray corporately, all of us together for the same thing, agreeing in prayer so that we can supply line the angels in order to go against the forces of the darkness. Because the prince and the power of this earth, see, the, the, these, these principalities, they have charge of this system. And in order to empower the kingdom of God, we have to supply that power. They're not only looking from the rafters, but they're depending on us to do their job. Prayer is not asking what we wish from God, but it's asking what does God wish from us? And he wishes for us to be engaged. Engaged in the battle. Luke 18.1 Now, he also spoke a parable to them that it is essential. Essential to pray and not be depressed. 
essential to pray. Pray for what? Well, pray for the church. Pray for the kingdom. I mean, get patriotic here. It don't matter what what political party is in charge or what matter. I mean, think about this. When this is written, Rome is in charge, and you think Washington is bad, go read about Rome. We will never pray as we should until we see it as an essential. It is as essential as baptism. And it's essential that we persevere with a purpose that we don't spin our wheels. Prayer is essential to honor God as our Father. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Prayer is essential to discharge our office as priests. 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9. Prayer is essential to avail ourselves to our privileges as Christians. It's essential to fulfill our obligation to fellow saints. Prayer is essential to seek and save the lost. Prayer is essential to outwit and overcome the powers of the evil one. Prayer is essential to grow in grace and godliness. Application time. It's very necessary to come together. A camp setting like this to encourage. But it's essential to equip. And if we don't leave here equipped, it's going to be another family camp. It was entertaining, food was good, fellowship was great. Nothing changes. I want you to look at the one another passages, the worksheet it passed down. Because what I want to illustrate by that is the essential nature of one another. Now, even though most people want to avoid it, accountability works. It really works. The trouble sometimes with accountability is that we get more concerned about holding the other person accountable than we're concerned about holding ourselves accountable. Like I said, I've tried to develop a more consistent prayer life. And here's one of the things I've done this year. I've never done this before. Last uh, last Montana family camp, I made a commitment to a couple of guys that I would pray for them every day.
and a half. I haven't missed a day. And it's funny because I'm not going to look them in the eye next Labor Day and say, oh, I forgot. Seems like I've done that to God before. I'm going to do it to those guys, see? Because I committed to do that. See? I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill that commitment to those brethren. That's helped it keep in the forefront of my mind. If you don't have something there to make it consistent, it won't be. It won't be. It just, that's the way it works. There has to be some hook there in order to achieve that consistency. So, Commit to pray for somebody. You know, I'm not big on this uh, accountability. Okay, you pray for me, I'll pray for you, and then we'll get together at the end of the week and soothe each other's conscience. Well, I messed up. Yeah, I did too. It was terrible, you know. <laughs> but we forgive each other, so it's okay. No. Commit to pray for somebody. Let them know you're going to pray for them without any other expectation. And then do it. And if you can't think of anybody else to do that for, do it for me. Ah! If you don't measure some way and report your perseverance, you're probably not persevering. But when perseverance is measured, it improves. And when it is measured and reported, it improves exponentially. Accountability kind of has a slightly negative energy because you feel like you've, you've got to do something. But when you commit to pray for somebody... You do that, and, and then you let the rest of it go. So you're just increasing your odds then of perseverance. I like this from D.L. Moody. He said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Perseverance with a purpose is essential. When we were immersed completely in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we were baptized into a war. We were born on a battlefield. Uh, Kevin Simpson likes to say that when, when uh, you're immersed into Christ, you get two new names. One is Christian and the other is Target. 
And the best way to get shot is not to know that somebody's shooting at you. Spiritual warfare is the major hindrance to prayer. All this time you thought it was your laziness. But spiritual warfare is the major hindrance. Listen, if we will make ourselves aware of the evil, wicked, dark, bloody, spiritual battle that's raging, how could we not have the proper motivation in prayer? But if we're unaware of the evil, if we're unaware of the wicked, if we're unaware of the battle that is raging, how could we ever properly motivate ourselves to persevere in prayer? Well, look closely at Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God. Why? In order for you to be able to stand up to the schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes. He's a schemer. And he's been doing this for a long time. Because the wrestling in us is not with flesh and blood, with the principalities, with the authorities, with the world dominions of darkness of this age, with the spiritual ones of wickedness in heavenly places. Where's the fight? With, with the principles and authorities and the world dominions of darkness of this age. Notice how often the word with and against appears there. Here is the battleground. Pray. It's not against people. It's not against people groups. It's not against political ideologies but against world dominions of darkness of this age. The war is against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. The battle begins, continues, and ends on the ground of truth. Unchanging truth. That's the battleground. That's the focus of our prayers. And turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. This, we, we got to get this right. Now, Paul has already talked about in his letter to Ephesus about the victory over these forces which Jesus has won. Ephesians 1.19. Now, <clears throat> and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of the dominion of his strength, which he worked in the Christ, having raised him up from the dead 
seated him by his right hand in the heavenly places above all rule and authority and power and lordship and every name that's being named, not only in this age, but also in the future age. He subjected all things under his feet and gave him to be head above all things to the congregation of believers, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all in all. We are never instructed, exhorted, or encouraged to win the victory over Satan and his cohorts. It's already been won. That's what this clearly points out. We're urged to stand firm in the victory that has been won for us by Christ Jesus. These powers and authorities are a defeated foe. We demonstrate the victory of that. Um, we demonstrate the the uh, um, the the, uh, uh, the the result of that victory to the angelic realm by being made like Christ. Paul says that that those principalities ruled in the realms of darkness, but he says. You who previously were in darkness are now the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 6.18 Through all prayer, supplication, praying in every season in the spirit and watching the same thing with all perseverance and supplication, concerning all the holy ones. As we put on the armor of God, provided God, by God, when we are to pray, put on each piece with prayer. Uh, Satan, Satan prowls around seeking whom he may destroy. And we come to pray, there is one who is coming against us. Prayer is the battlefield. Prayer's primary focus is not an aid to essential oils to help us feel better. find myself seeking comfort when I should be seeking weapons for war. I believe we should pray for the sick. It's, it's a biblical concept. But the purpose to the praying for the sick, especially the brethren who are sick, so that they can get back into the battle. 
and the purpose to pray for those who are afflicted, who are outside of Christ. After you ask God to extend himself in their healing, you go do your part to take them the gospel. Otherwise, how in the world can you look God in the eye with a straight face and ask him to bring healing to them? If you're not willing to do your part, and I don't mean go in and bump them over the head with a five-week plan, but you better get involved. If you were that concerned to ask God to get involved, then he wants you to get involved. So you're going to learn a lot from perseverance by watching the kids when they want something. I ask time, time again. And yet, I think the reality is that when it comes to prayer, um, we grow weary, we grow discouraged. That's why God gives us so much encouragement to pray. Abraham prayed long for a son, and Isaac came. Eliezer prayed for guidance. Rebecca appeared. Jacob prayed, and his brother's attitude changed. Moses prayed, and heaven's wrath was subsided. Joshua prayed, and Achan was discovered, and Ai was destroyed. Hannah prayed. Samuel was given to her. Elijah prayed and the heavens were shut up and opened. Elisha prayed, drought came and a dead child lived again. David prayed and Ahithophel hung himself. Jehoshaphat prayed, his enemies were routed. Hezekiah prayed, 185,000 Assyrians were slain. Daniel prayed and Archangels are set in motion. Prayer releases divine forces and restrains evil forces. I said prayer releases divine forces and restrains evil forces. We be able to subdue kingdoms, stop the mouths of lions, Put to flight the enemies of God. As the world totters from crisis to crisis, we have so much to pray for. Prayer can prevail for our leaders, our educators, the poor, the hungry, the prisoners, the multitudes living in darkness. Prayer can prevail for ourselves, but it's going to take perseverance, and it's going to take perseverance that is, is pointed in the, the godly direction. Now, not as beating our head up against the wall. We follow the example of the men and women of faith in the scriptures. We don't give up, seize up, dry up, let up, stay up, goof up, or shut up. The people of prayer follow the example of Jesus who persisted in prayer until an answer came. Jesus prayed often. And he prayed regularly with fervent cries and tears according to Hebrews 5, 7. Sometimes all night, the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying. 
Jesus was transfigured with divine glory as he prayed. When Jesus faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. When we hear him praying for his disciples in John 17, the night before he died. And then we hear him petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. But we all, with our face having been unveiled, seeing the reflection of the glory of the Lord for ourselves are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In a very practical manner. I'm going to end with this. Matthew 26, 36. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus comes to a parcel of ground with them called Gethsemane. Says to the disciples, sit over there until which time I've gone and might pray there. They took Peter and two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and to be disheartened. Then Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful until death. Remain here and watch with me. Having gone a little further, he fell upon his face, praying and saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. However, not as I will, but as you will. And he comes to the disciples and finds them sleeping. He says to Peter, Son, you're not strong enough to watch with me one hour. Watch and pray. Nor that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed eager, but the flesh is weak. Listen, Jesus is dealing with his flesh here. Having gone away a second time, he prayed, saying, My father, if this cup is not able to pass from me, if I do not drink it, let your will happen. And he comes again and finds them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. Having left them again, he went away and prayed a third time and said again the same speech. And comes to the disciples and says to them, Are you furthermore sleeping? Sleeping the time away and resting yourselves? Behold, 
The hour is drawn near, and the Son of Man is given up into the hands of sinners. Arise. We should be proceeding. Behold, the one giving me up to the Jews is drawn near. The beloved of God is praying and asking if there's any other way for mankind to be saved for atonement, then let that happen. He's sweating drops of blood in his pleading before the Father. He's pleading that perhaps this cup of salvation somehow could be lifted from him. And he perseveres until the answer comes. Three times he returns to his prayer and at the end of the third prayer, he hears the answer. He hears the answer in the sound of the feet of Judas and the soldiers coming to arrest him. And I want you to notice here that when Jesus hears the answer, when he hears them coming, he gets up and he walks towards the cross. He walks towards the answer. Now you can say three times, it's not very often, but I have to stop and think on this for a minute. All through his life, Jesus knew why he'd come. Don't you think at this moment in the garden, he is articulating a prayer that he has spoken many times to the Father. You really believe it was just at this moment that he decided to pray this prayer? What do you really think the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness was all about? Wasn't it about perseverance and prayer? And now, knowing that death was a matter of hours away, Jesus focuses his prayer on the very purpose of his life, his death. If our Heavenly Father desired his beloved Son to persist in prayer until an answer came, why would he desire anything different from us? There's all sorts of reasons not to persist in prayer. There's all sorts of reasons to deny the essentiality of immersion. Make sure that you know that that denial is at your own peril. Let's just do it.